This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 269. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today on this happy of Halloween's Mr. Jacob Paulson. Yep. Happy Halloween, Riley. <laughs> What's up, dog? Um, guns and stuff. <laughs> You're probably like, your first thought's like, why is he calling me a dog, dude? Well, this is the awkward part of the episode. I never know what to say. I'm Riley Bowman. I'm joined by Jacob Paulson. What am I supposed to say? Hi. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, there you go. All, all of those things work, dude. They get old, man. Like we're on episode two hundred and sixty-nine. Yep, yeah, it's true. Well, we used to do what man who guy who stuff, right? Everybody knows this by now. If you if yeah. you started listening to the podcast recently, then you, you probably just get annoyed every time. You know, we we razz on each other because you need to go back and listen to all the original episodes where <laughs> we explore all of our faults and quirks and show that we're really. Good. <laughs> So true, you know, and if anyone's wondering why I've kind of just let the man who, guy guy who segment fall by the wayside, it's just simply because it got too difficult <laughs> to think of more stuff. We'd literally spend more time like trying to come up with what do we say this time than like actually prepping the episode <laughs> sometimes. At least I would. Yeah. Anyway. We're just not that interesting. Yep, yep. So, hey, uh, we got a whole bunch of great stories today, including uh, a Law of Self-Defense case of the week from Andrew Branca, but we, we're going to be covering a little bit to the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. We'll talk about that some. Obviously, that's that's big thing in the news lately. We've got some other stories that are kind of the fallout from that as well. We've got some legislative updates. We've got a really, really interesting story about the AT... Well, not so much about the ATF... I mean, yes, but it's really about a federal prosecutor that I think got way off the rails. But uh, this is kind of scary stuff. Uh, And it could affect each of us, any of us. If you own an AR pistol, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen in on this story about how uh, a man was prosecuted for having an AR pistol with a brace on it. So that's kind of that's actually the title of the episode today. The feds may come after you if you use an AR pistol. Crazy stuff. Stay tuned. Plus some great justified save stories, including an active shooter event. It's another one that needs to be added to the database, Jacob, I think. the Yeah, it qualifies. The Kroger one. Yeah. So there's that one, and that's a great story. And we've got the story of a McDonald's man who had to de- use a gun to defend him and his two kids, and he and one of his children were wounded in the process. But first, today's episode is brought to you by... We've got Pig Lube, and it's been a while since we mentioned Pig Lube on the podcast, so you got to get some, because it's probably it's been long enough since we talked about it that you've probably run out by this point, so it's time to go place that, that refill order now. Head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash Pig Lube. Yeah, good stuff. I love Pig Lube. It's my favorite oh, lube. Uh, also, their PLC Pig Lube Cleaner, really, really good stuff. It's what I use in all my guns now. It does the job really well doesn't leave nasty, filthy, oily residue or anything like that. doesn't damage the gun. doesn't damage the plastic. 
really, really great pig lube cleaner and also pig lube. Concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. Use the coupon code podcast 10 and save 10%. Yeah, and check out the uh, the range kit, which comes with mm. pig lube and it comes with the pig lube cleaner, but it also is just like a stellar compact cleaning kit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's what's in my range bag sitting right over there right now. So yep. that goes to the range. You got to do something. You know, heck, we just had a so we taught a class last weekend. We had a student that had some problems with his gun. It was really weird. It's a Glock uh, 19X, in fact, fairly new gun. And the trigger all of a sudden got really stiff, like way st- crazy stiff, like 30 pounds stiff. I mean, I, I could barely press the trigger. And yeah, uh, we took the whole thing apart. Didn't find anything necessarily wrong. Uh, it seems like it's still too new of a gun with too low of a round count to really get so dirty that it would negatively affect the performance of the trigger. But we completely stripped it down to an armor's level and cleaned it using pig lube cleaner and lubed it up with pig lube. And that thing, in fact, his shooting, I think, improved after that because I think he'd been working with a stiff trigger for a while. Yeah, yeah. It was (laughs) was a win. Yeah, it was great. Anyway, um, also, we have coming up just a preview. We've mentioned a couple times. We're going to keep talking about it because we're super excited. We've been pouring literally sweat and tears uh, into this project, and we have a new home defense video course uh, soon to be launched. Stay tuned for more details, but uh, we appreciate your support of that if uh, if you would when it uh, when, when we finally officially launch that. Just just watch for the details. It's going to be awesome. Yep. I've been reviewing all the videos uh, over the last week or so, and I, some of them I watch. And they're ones that you filmed, and I wasn't there when you filmed them. And I'm mm. like, yeah, that was that, that was good. Oh, th- thanks, Jacob. Yeah. I, I should probably go watch the ones with you. And then I uh, could, could do the same. I could say, hey, that was really good, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> right on, dude. Well, here we go. We've got the uh, this week's Andrew Brinka's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week coming right up. So this is another good one. This is about uh, stand your ground law again, and uh, the media gets it wrong. So let's uh, let's see what Andrew's got to talk about here. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self Defense Case of the Week. I'm Attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This case of the week is not so much a case of self-defense law as it is a case of mischaracterization of self-defense law. As sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, the media will continue to mischaracterize stand your ground in terms of both actual application and as legal doctrine. A recent example came across my desk this week from a publication named Black Voice News. In an article you can find by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash BVN, if you can stomach it. First, let's take a look at the errors in actual application of Stand Your Ground. The article mischaracterizes the number of states that actually apply Stand Your Ground. If by Stand Your Ground, we mean that there is no legal duty to retreat imposed on a non-aggressor who is facing an imminent threat of deadly force attack, which is the only legally correct definition of Stand Your Ground. The article helpfully supplies a map of the United States with the purported stand-your-ground states colored blue and all others left uncolored. In total, the map indicates 22 stand-your-ground states. The map is, unfortunately, badly mistaken. Among the 28 states left uncolored, thus indicating non-stand-your-ground status, 
fully half are in fact also stand-your-ground states. These additional stand-your-ground states, not flagged as such on the map, but are such in law, include Alaska, California, Colorado, Idaho, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, New Mexico, Oregon, Virginia, Vermont, Washington, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. That's quite the oversight. In fact, only a minority of 14 states impose a legal duty to retreat before deadly defensive force may be used by a non-aggressor to defend against an imminent deadly force attack. Now let's look at the article's errors in characterizing the legal doctrine of Stand Your Ground. The article goes on to grossly mischaracterize what Stand Your Ground is and does. The author writes, for example, quote, In essence, Stand Your Ground laws provide an escape clause from criminal prosecution for individuals who kill another person. Close quote. Actually, no. Stand Your Ground provides no escape clause. A person raising the legal defense of self-defense in a Stand Your Ground jurisdiction needs to make precisely the same legal argument as he would have to make if he were not in a Stand Your Ground jurisdiction, except that he is relieved of the legal duty to retreat if he is the non-aggressor and is faced with an imminent threat of a deadly force attack. All Stand Your Ground jurisdictions are saying is that if you are the innocent victim of an imminent deadly force attack, you are legally entitled to use deadly defensive force if necessary to save your life, and the state won't put you in prison for the rest of your life simply because you failed to take advantage of a purportedly safe avenue of retreat as you were fighting for your life. The minority of 14 duty-to-retreat states, on the other hand, reserve the right to put you in prison for the rest of your life even if you are the innocent victim of an eminent deadly force attack and manage to survive at the cost of your attacker's life if prosecutors can convince the jury that you could have safely escaped while fighting for your life. The article also makes numerous other errors in logic and reasoning. As usual with these types of propagandistic articles, for example, the author writes, quote, The Center for American Progress also reported recently that in states like Florida, for example, that implemented Stand Your Ground in 2005, gun violence in the state experienced a 20% increase, a near two decades high, close quote. This assumes that a 20% increase in quote-unquote gun violence is a bad thing, but that's a foolish assumption. When a woman uses a gun to protect herself against a rapist, that's an act of gun violence, but surely we can all agree it's a social good. Similarly, when a parent uses a gun to keep a child from being kidnapped, or when an, any lawful person uses a gun to protect themselves from a felony assault, assuming that quote-unquote gun violence is always a quote-unquote bad thing is childish thinking, and not even that of a very bright child. The article also states, quote, These laws provide legal license for the killing of black men, as they are more likely than any other demographic to become victims of stand-your-ground killings, close quote. First, these laws provide no license for the killing of anyone, as already described. Second, there's no credible evidence to support this claim that black men are more likely than any other demographic to become victims of stand-your-ground killings. But even if we were to assume that latter claim were true, it's only half the relevant question. Might it not also be true that quote-unquote black men, and I would suggest black people generally, are also more likely than any other demographic to benefit from the increased scope of lawful self-defense allowed for by Stand Your Ground. After all, are not most victims of black criminals other black people who are defending themselves against this criminal predation? 
As always, folks, it pays to know what the law of self-defense actually is based on actual statutes, court decisions, and jury instructions, and taught by a genuinely knowledgeable source than it is to rely on the scribblings of a quote-unquote journalist with a little understanding of the subject matter, and particularly not the type of quote-unquote journalist with a propagandistic agenda. Fortunately, you're in luck. Quality education on the actual law of self-defense is readily available from, you guessed it, the law of self-defense. Check out the free content and the links in my signature for a good, no-cost start on your education on the law of self-defense. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you have it. Another uh, great analysis from Andrew Branca, uh, talking about stand your ground states, uh, pointing out some of the falsehoods or myths that are perpetuated in the, especially in the media about some of that stuff. Um, I, I especially appreciate Jacob what he said about uh, you know the the, I, the benefits I believe of having concealed carriers and stand your ground law you know, as it relates to our communities to making, you know, where we live a safer place. Yeah. Uh, couldn't agree more. Right. I mean, and that's, that's kind of the hypocrisy of the whole argument is it's <laughs> of, of gun control, right. Is that we, we all want bad people to not have guns, but all the efforts that we see are related to taking them away from good people. And that, that, that is kind of the whole problem. Yep. Yeah, in fact, we've got some stories uh, coming up in this episode that uh, I think just further reinforce this. So uh, I look forward to getting into it. But first, one thing that I regret to talk about is this shooting that occurred still within a week ago, just a few days ago, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at a uh, at a Jewish synagogue. Uh, so we have a story here from USA Today. It's titled, Four Minutes Saved My Life, Holocaust Survivor Had Bullets Whiz By Outside Tree of Life, Tree of Life being the uh, name of the synagogue. And uh, this story, we picked this one because it's it, it's just a little bit different perspective. Uh, shares one man's experience as he uh, was outside. He, he normally says he normally arrives for their services on time on Saturday, but uh, he had a conversation, it says, with his housekeeper on Saturday morning, and it kept him away from the, uh, you know, getting there on time and thus missing the uh, actual event. He likely would have been there in in the synagogue with all the same people and would have likely been amongst the uh, the wounded or the dead um, had he not arrived, you know, he, he arrived like four minutes late is all. And by that point, this had, uh, this event had already uh, 
started. He, he, he stayed out in his vehicle, and even while he was in his vehicle, bullets were whizzing by outside. And uh, so still, you know, pretty terrifying for him, uh, but very fortunate that he was late to church services. Yeah. Uh, he is a Holocaust survivor. He was in a concentration camp. And um, it's interesting to kind of have that kind of perspective, you know, from when he was very young to now, you know, he's he's 80 years old. And to have that, you know, his, his life is basically bookend, uh, you know, bookended, I guess, with attempts on his life because he's a Jew. So that's pretty horrible and outright fascinating and weird at the same time. It's pretty wild. Uh, you know, this is, this is definitely brought up the conversation again, uh, which I think we saw after Sutherland Springs about churches being targets. We really now have kind of three big high profile mass shootings in churches in the last you know year or two between Charleston, Sutherland Springs, and now Pittsburgh. And so a lot of conversation about what do we, what do we do about this? You know, just, is this, you know, we want to have armed teachers. Now do we need to have armed pastors or whatever else? And I got an email, in fact, yesterday from a customer of ours, or no, excuse me, not a customer, an instructor who is a pastor and is a fire instructor on the side and, and reached out to me and we were talking a little bit and he's in Illinois, but um, just, just interesting to kind of see how that, Know, this conversation comes to pass. It's different because schools are obviously government facilities, right? With government employees, where churches are private property. So each each church, you know, is left to their own to decide what their policies are going to be and what, if anything, they're going to proactively do. There are some some well, there's what one or two states that specifically. Zero. There are now zero states. Is that, it now zero? Yeah, there are, as of right now, there are zero states that outright prohibit firearms in places of worship. There are a handful, I'd have to go pull the list, you know, maybe less than 10, that uh, only allow it with, you know, specific permission of right. the leader of that place of worship. But uh, there are no states that statutorily outlaw the carrying of a gun in a, in a place of worship. Um, there are some states like Utah is a good example where – in their statute, interestingly enough, is a provision that allows churches to specifically have them their, their, themselves listed on the uh, state uh, bureau of investigation. What is it? The BCI bureau of, bureau of criminal yeah. Ide- criminal identifications investigations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if they request to have their their church listed on a list of basically gun-free zones, then uh, they can do that. And which there's a, there's a few churches in, in Utah, and the most prominent one being Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that specifically in Utah uh, is gun-free zone, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, we know based on our research, uh, and, and this story definitely fits within that context, and obviously our hearts uh, go out to those affected by this terrible shooting in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, I think it was uh, 11 now that, that are dead and, uh, you know, a, num- a number of others wounded, including four or five police officers. And uh, what we know based on our recent active shooter study that we did, it's been getting a lot of traction. We've been seeing that uh, get shared quite, quite a bit, which is really exciting to see. And also you can go back to, what was it, episode 266 when we talked 66. about that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and... You can, you can, you know, if you missed that one, you you might want to go back and listen to that. One of the things we cover in there is that 
gun-free zones are actually in the minority. They're still a substantial p- part of the data set, but they're still in the minority uh, in terms of places uh, that where active shooter events occur. But in gun-free zones, the likelihood of having greater casualties goes up substantially, mm-hmm. like big time. And John Lott uh, on on their on his website, the Crime Prevention Research Center has written a post that claims that the synagogue in Pittsburgh was a gun-free zone. I, I don't see he didn't really state his evidence for that. So um, just to be clear, mm. I you know unconfirmed as far as I'm concerned, but he stated explicitly that it very much so you know would have been against the policy of the synagogue for one of the attendees or congregates to yeah. to have a firearm. And I had seen that somewhere too, but. Uh, now, interestingly enough, let's let's pivot over to there's a story from the Blaze, uh, and this is quoting a New York politician, specifically Democrat Eric Adams, who is the president of New York City's Brooklyn Borough. It says says that off-duty police officers should carry their firearms wherever they go, even if that means into worship services. Uh, in addition to being president of the borough, Adams is a 22-year veteran and a retired captain at the NYPD and a Democrat, it says. Uh, this is interesting because, you know, this is in this is in New York City. So, I, you know what? Forget everything that New York City does that's wrong in our minds as far as very, very, very anti-gun, very, very strict gun control laws in New York City. But I still call this a, a win in that you have... Someone that by political party most likely would not necessarily call for more guns in more places, but, uh, and in a place like New York city, they're saying we need more armed people in places, including churches. So the one thing that you can do in New York is call on the cops to make sure they're carrying off duty everywhere they go. Uh, now the next the next step the next step okay Mr. Adams would be let's go ahead and start you know putting a call out there for more armed citizens. Well that that's always what blows me away right is that everything about the gun control rhetoric suggests that you know the guns are dangerous the the existence and presence of these guns in in places like schools and churches is dangerous it's all bad and scary and dangerous we got to stop it but you've never heard any anti-gunners say, and cops shouldn't do it either, right? Like somehow the actions or the tools themselves are socially accepted universally in the hands of a law enforcement officer, but questionable in the hands of a private citizen. And yeah, yeah, some people would say, well, yeah, duh. Um, But I suspect most of our listeners are like me and say, why? Why is it that the exact same tool, tactic, approach, or solution in the hands of someone with a badge is socially acceptable, but with you know the the people at large, it's not? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you for sure there. But I, I agree that this is a good step forward, and I, I appreciate you know what this guy is saying. And he he talks about when he was in on NYPD, he carried a gun, he took his gun everywhere off duty, including to church. And so I, yeah, these, I, these I appreciate are pretty strong words from him. This is his quote. He says. I used to carry my gun all the time when I went to church. If we have police officers standing in front of churches, they can't say it's wrong for a police officer who's off duty to be inside churches with a gun. If they're leaving those firearms at home, I now say to them, stop leaving your firearm home. 
do as I do, bring your firearm to church. I, I think those are good words for all of us. You know, you know broadening it outside that context, I, I think that's good encouragement for all of us. Stop leaving your firearms at home. Because I know there's some of you perhaps even listening to this podcast right now that today, for whatever reason, or maybe you're tuning in, you just got home from work and you put that gun away. It's it's a way where you can't get to it you know, right this next second. Or maybe you decided to go for a run or to the gym or to the grocery store and because it was too much work, you've left your gun at home or in the safe. Stop doing that. <laughs> Have it on you, you know? Like, yep. yeah. So I mean, uh, here would be the question I'd ask this dude if I had access to him. I would say something to the effect of, and, and this is also what Sean is kind of asking on, on our Facebook Live right now. You know, if, if you accept and believe that law enforcement officers should be able to insert here, have these black scary rifles or carry at church or whatever, then what what is it exactly that I, as a private citizen without a badge, would have to do to meet your same you know, level or criteria that you allow the officer, right? Like, is it just a matter of training or do you think I need to be insured or like, you know, I'm just curious, like, I'd love to hear from these anti-gunners, like, what is it exactly that you think that they have going on hmm. that I would need to do for you to, for you to accept me, right? In the same circumstances. Yeah, for sure. And Sean follows up with a comment that I think is uh, worthwhile. The public assumes so much about what police have to go through to become officers they also assume so much about concealed carriers. And this is so true. We see this all over the place. In fact, we're going to talk about it here in a couple of stories where, you know, there's this assumption by many in public and also in political office and, you know, where, where they believe that <clears throat> by having more concealed carriers, more guns out there, that it'll somehow make us less safe, that uh, now more guns are, are all over, you know, the guns are all over the place and our communities will become less safe when in fact there's either no effect, although my suspicion is, or there's some effect at least on reducing uh, crime and, and whatnot. So at least the guns in the hands of lawful, uh, you know, law-abiding citizens does not make our communities less safe. In fact, should make them more safe. And we know, based on our that active shooter study that we did recently, that if there had been somebody in the synagogue that had a gun with them and was able to deploy it, the, the odds of that incident being stopped, or at least limited in terms of the damage, would have been vastly improved. Yeah, about 94%. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, <clears throat> let's move on now to an article from the Seattle Times. This is a first update on legislative matters. Uh, we talked before, I think maybe even just last week about this, the initiative 1639, which is on the ballot uh, the next week is, uh, you know, is it, yeah, next week is voting day. So uh, folks in the, in the state of Washington have the opportunity to vote on, in, on on initiative 1639. And we would certainly encourage you to get out there and vote, uh, especially against this initiative, uh, because it's got some problems with it. 
right? It's bad news bears, big time bad news bears. It really is. Now, this story from the Seattle Times uh, points out that state law enforcement groups oppose this initiative, but top King County officials support it. Now, this this is no surprise and, and actually sounds very similar to what we saw happen five or so years ago here in Colorado, uh, where we, you know, had that sweeping, uh, uh, you know, what is it? I'm, I'm, I forgot the word. Oh, we had universal background <laughs> that, 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 that sweeping change. There we go. Sweep, yeah. Sweeping change in gun gun legislation. Uh, yeah, background checks, uh, mag capacities, all that stuff. Right, that happened went into effect in 2013 here in Colorado, and you had like every single county sheriff in Colorado against it, except for Denver. And you yeah, had like the translation here is like real cops are against this. <laughs> Elected officials who happen to also have a badge are totally for it. (laughs) Right, right. And that that is definitely what we see. Uh, You know, are you going to find those cops, including regular street cops, that are going to be for this sort of thing? Yeah, you'll find them. But they are, in my experience, in the minority for sure, by far. Most, uh, you know, even especially, I've definitely seen departments. You, You see this all over the place too, even in major cities where the city police chief is anti gun, you know, very liberal in that regard. And then like eighty five percent of their of their police force <laughs> are pro Second Amendment, you know, and are for the people, you know, uh, arming themselves. So anyway, uh again just a reminder of uh this this initiative, sixteen thirty nine, you're gonna wanna go if you're in Washington State, go and vote against it. So just a, yeah, a reminder, this would raise the legal age to purchase a semi-automatic rifle to 21, would add more background checks, training, and a 10-day waiting period to get those weapons. And yeah. it includes a section that's all about uh, safe store, required, you know, s- secure storage at home. And that, that that's one that just, uh, yeah. I know that too many people out there that's like, well, what's the big deal? Like, are you guys against safe storage of guns? No, we're not. Just against... The government getting I'm a, involved. I'm against, I'm against the implications of safe storage at home. The implications are, in order to enforce it, two things have to happen. You first have to know all the guns I own, so registration has to exist. And B, you have to routinely inspect my home to make sure I'm compliant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm against those two things, which very much so go against the Second and Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. Yep. Now, in another story, uh, this according to Breitbart.com, Democrat Stacey Abrams seeks ban on entire category of firearms repeal of campus carry. She is a gubernatorial candidate, so she's running for governor in the state of Georgia. And Did you just call her a goober? Because I agree. Yeah, she, totally. Anybody that runs for... No, that's not true, because there are some governors I like. <laughs> where, where gubernatorial just, ever came from... Word, I just like, why are we calling people goobers? I'd love to know the basis of that word. I'd love to know it. <laughs> I guess gubernatorial was too like like that that didn't work or something. Sounded weird. Yeah, Go, right. gubernatorial Coopers. candidate. So we had to. It's like it's like government and govern government, right? It, that, I think that's where it came Gubber. from. Gubernatorial. <laughs> anyway, so uh, she is pledging to completely outlaw. Uh, entire classes of firearms and repealing the campus carry law that allows concealed uh, permit holders to carry on campus and uh, specific. Oh, and then also is in favor of what, what is now, you know, we're seeing all this like 
we, we definitely see these terms getting kind of changed and morphed around a little bit. You know, we talked about extreme risk protection orders, then it became gun violence restraining orders. And, and now we're talking about, you know, red flag laws. Like that's the new uh, catchy, you know, phrase that everybody's throwing around that, hey, we need these red, red flag laws. And immediately they try to attach to it that this is meant to combat mental health issues, which is, you know, that's a good thing, right? Like we, both sides can agree on mental health issues, right? And, uh, you know, really what it means is that they're, they're for, they're, they're for expanding opportunities where the government can confiscate guns from people. And, uh, now there, I'm not saying, I think that there's probably some things that could be done if, and it's a big if, due process can be assured in that, you know, throughout that process and that it's reasonable, but, uh. Yeah, in most cases, we don't see laws being written in such a way that I feel like really, really goes out of out of their way to protect still the the gun rights of that individual that's accused, and it gives them you know ample opportunities to within a reasonable amount of time to defend themselves. So I don't know. Uh, she's just one of several governors actually running across the country in these midterm elections uh, that uh, you know could alter the face of some states potentially um you know obviously they can't do everything by themselves they got to have legislatures that are also on board with uh, gun control measures but uh yeah it's bold i think the point of the article is this is unusual to have someone during the election running on a i'm going to go pass all this gun control legislation campaign you know stance and it's especially alarming in a state like georgia I mean, it's it's like it's like yeah. putting a bullet in your campaign. Like I don't I don't see this going well <laughs> for Goober Stacy Adams <laughs> for Goober. Yeah, um, yeah. She that that is the point is that she is very vocal on this. She thinks this is going to be a winning platform for her. And uh, well, time will time will tell. I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna work out for her. Last week we had this. Uh, this Jewish synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh. And a couple days later, almost immediately FedEx who in the past had made it clear that they weren't really on board with the idea of discriminating between organizations that they do business with. Now all of a sudden they are backtracking on that and they decided to drop an NRA deal available to business members of the NRA uh, where they could get some discounts on FedEx shipping. Now, this is a big deal, by the way, because there's a lot of guns from manufacturers that are shipped via FedEx. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so like this, this could hurt the bottom line for some for some companies. Yeah, so a, th- a couple of things I think are important to clarify. First and foremost, FedEx did not just come out and say, "Hey, we're done with the NRA." Uh, FedEx said that it it made an adjustment to or dropped over 100 discount programs with various industry partners and organizations. So in theory, you know, and it could be that they did that just so they could get the NRA out without drawing too much attention. Uh, or maybe they just said, you know, these discount you know, programs are just not good enough. They're not really helping us. So we're going we're to drop these companies. Maybe the volume doesn't support, you know, what we're doing with them. I mean, I know I can tell you that's true with us. Like we, we have a FedEx account as a company. And uh, when we hit certain volume levels, our rates drop, right? So it could be that it's simple as, hey, we're not getting the volume to justify this. So I'm, I'm trying to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt here is what I'm trying to say. You're being way same, too kind. 
I, I'm, I'm suggesting that these are possibilities. Okay. <laughs> now, to be clear, moving forward, where given the choice, I will not be using FedEx personally. Uh, I will use a competing product every time. And and it's uh, to your point. I mean, you, with USPS, it's difficult and/or impossible to ship ammo, guns, etc. And so, for a long time as an industry, we've been using FedEx for those things. The UPS is also an option. It's just often more expensive. I I, I would say that you know, as an industry, we need to uh, you know, each of us needs to decide what we're you know what under what circumstances we're willing to boycott something. Yeah. But but I can certainly say that for me personally, where when given an alternative, I'll not be using FedEx. So, like I said, you, you did a very kind thing by giving so much benefit of the doubt to FedEx on, you know, the motives behind this. But but I think the timing tells us tells us everything we need to know. You know, you have this another another major active shooting event uh, that uh, is getting a lot of press coverage and again calls for more gun control, specifically assault weapons bans. Uh, mental health stuff, um, uh, background checks, universal background checks, of course, right? The timing is is everything with this. They chose on like Monday, so like two days after this this shooting happened, to say mm, cutting ties with you know these discount programs, and one of those, and a big one probably, I think, for some businesses, especially in this industry, is an NRA business member discount. So, at least here's where I would give them the benefit of the disc, of, of the benefit of the doubt is that they didn't just say we're cutting out the NRA; they cut out other program discounts and made it seem like it's fair. All right, sure. kudos to them in that regard. But I do think what drove this, the timing of it, and everything was that shooting. Anyway, yeah, that that could very well be. And I'll add that it's not like if if the NRA decides to ship something via FedEx. FedEx says, no, you can't spend money with us, right? They've just dropped a discount program they previously supplied to uh, to members of an NRA business group. Yeah. It is worth noting, too, that FedEx stood by its discount for members of the NRA Business Alliance in February when companies including Delta Airlines, Car Rental Group Enterprise, and United Airlines announced they were ending such ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that time, FedEx said that while it opposed civilian use of assault rifles, quote unquote, it would not deny service or discriminate against any legal entity regardless of policy positions or political views. Yeah, I think that's probably what they're still trying to say, but the timing is suspect. All right. Another story here. DRGO, or Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, .us reports. And this is this is kind of this is really an intriguing study here, Jacob. Uh, it says here the title is "Concealed Carry Does Not Increase Violent Crime," and that basically you have a lead author here, who his his name is Mark Hamill, and he's a doctor. He's also a former police officer, and uh, he's a member of this organization. He worked on this study, and this is published in. Uh, American College of Surgeons, which I mean, that's a that's a peer reviewed you know journal. That's 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 you know. So this is a legit. It's expected to appear in the January issue of the Journal of American College of Sur- Surgeons. He presented go. this at an event 
what they call the Congress of the American College of Surgeons on October 27th. Yeah. So it was presented live and it and it's it's planned to be published in the t- January issue of the journal. Right. So basically, I mean, I already gave you the headline. Concealed carry does not increase violent crime. Go into the details with us, Jacob. Yeah, so basically what they're looking at, when they say concealed carry, they're talking about the changes in state laws as it relates to may issue, shall issue, and what they call, um, it's basically constitutional carry. Their words are unrestricted carry. So they're saying, okay, let's look from 1986 to 2015. It's basically a 30-year period. And let's look at individual, all 50, you know, you can call 51 states, I guess, including D.C. And let's see any legislation at any state in any year that changed things from no carry to or away from may issue to or away from shall issue to or away from unrestricted carry. And obviously, over that 30-year period, the the general trend is the states are, are getting less restrictive, right? So they're moving toward, uh, you know, away from no carry, away from may issue and toward shall issue and unrestricted carry. And so then they, they, they look at that and then they compare that obviously with violent crime stats uh, from the Department of Justice. And they allow, you know, they, they allow for all sorts of variables. They allow for things like uh, time differences. In other words, you know, once a state makes a legal change, you probably wouldn't see an immediate effect, right? That wouldn't immediately increase violent crime. It would probably take uh, years to build up uh, increases. They, they also control uh, for other factors. I can't remember. They, I think they, you know, public health indicators, poverty, unemployment, um, there's several other things that they control for. And the short of it is the study demonstrated no statistically significant association between the liberalization of state level firearm carry legislation over the last 30 years and the rates of homicides or other violent crime. Yeah. So there's just no correlation. Yeah. Uh, it's, I would call this a landmark study in this regard. Yeah. You know, to be published in a, in a, in a you know, peer reviewed, reputable journal. To be, you know, uh, it sounds like a, a study, and it, it involves several doctors and researchers. You know, they looked at a lot of years of data, thirty years of data. That's significant. That's not like they just looked at five years or ten years. They looked at thirty years of data. Uh, it, it seems like it's, you know, we haven't seen the whole study itself, but uh, it seems like it's pretty legit. And you know, it kind of busts a lot of what anti-gunners would like to, you know, what what they like to say about, you know, concealed carry and gun gun ownership in America. And my only beef is the picture at the top. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, no this is a podcast you guys can't see it, but it's it's a stock image of someone pulling a gun out of the small back. The gun is in backwards, palm out, and there's no holster. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's just like come on, like Stock photographers everywhere need to oh, like this. This picture is hilarious, dude. Uh, it's horrible. It looks blue, like it's a woman. Blue jeans. Hands, the woman. Long hair. Yep. Woman. Blue long jeans. hair. Blue jeans. But like a suit. Like jacket. a suit coat. Yeah. Yeah. The whole the whole thing is like 1911. This was credible. No holster. You put this picture here. No belt. Incorrect manner of carrying in a really crappy position to carry. Sorry. With no holster. <laughs> yeah, okay. All righty. Wait. You know. This is awesome because you know we recently did our big study about active shooter events, which shows that ninety four percent of them uh, were a concealed carrier or someone with a with an armed citizen was able to intervene. They have a positive outcome 
in either stopping or slowing down that active shooter. And then right on the heels of our own study here, we see this study. Concealed carry does not increase violent crime. Everything seems to be swinging towards the Second Amendment in these regards. Yes, indeed. So, hard to argue with data, right? Okay, so this episode we told you we're going to talk about how the feds may come after you if you use an AR pistol. So the next story is a blog post on PrinceLaw.com, and Prince Law Offices is a a law office that actually they they do a lot of Second Amendment work. Okay, and, uh, it, and we appreciate everything that they do. <clears throat> they are sharing in this blog post a case that was just recently resolved, U.S. versus Wright, where a man with an AR pistol was charged with making or possessing an unregistered short-barreled rifle. So he... So he, let me jump in and give like background, like Jacob's yep, stuff. Go quick, for it. Get down and dirty. So for those who are unaware, uh, since 1934, National Firearm Act, short-barreled rifles, which should speak for itself what it is, barrel, or it's a rifle that's too short, uh, are, are well, they're not illegal per se, but in order to own one, a person has to uh, go through a very specific process. They are, in fact, registered. A tax stamp is paid for, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they were fur- further regulated in, in later legislation, but that's the nature of the beast. And in order to possess one, you need to have gone through a certain process uh, in, in order to, to have such a thing. Now, for many years now, uh, I'll, I'll call it a loophole, but uh, you know, loophole is not the right word. It's really a legal, a legal variant uh, or something that's that gets it's easily confused, but it is in fact legal. Is to build a a pistol that um, people will put something off of the rear of that pistol that maybe resembles a stock or could, in theory, be used kind of similar to a stock. Uh, or that has something that you could rest your cheek against in, in, in kind of holding it as if it were a rifle. And the ATF has repeatedly supported that those things are, in fact, legal, even when they're used, shouldered, uh, you know, fired as, as, as you would fire a rifle. Um, these things have often come to be called AR pistols in the case that it's a carbine that, that's an AR variant style carbine, uh, but it's not a rifle stock, right? It's a uh, an arm brace or a cheek weld or whatever. This thing that comes off the back that in many respects does make it so you can hold and shoot the thing like a rifle, but it's not considered a short barrel rifle. It's considered a pistol with an attachment. And that's been kind of the, the go-to belief and you know method of moving forward for some time now. Yeah, that's right. You know, So we've been on this roller coaster ride over the last five, seven, eight, ten years since uh, AR pistols really first started becoming a thing where there was a time where, oh, well, you can, you can, you can build this pistol, put a brace on it, but you can't shoulder it. You can't put it on the shoulder. You know, you could hold it against your cheek if it's not touching your shoulder. Uh, in some cases it was interpreted as you could even place it on your chest, but not on your shoulder. <laughs> or you could just simply hold it out there like you would a pistol and do the best you can to sight down it and shoot it. Right. Then the ATF said, Oh, actually, you know, it's okay. You can shoulder it. And then they kind of went back on that. And then like two years ago, they said, okay, yeah, you can shoulder them again. <laughs> right. And these are all done in, through, through letters. 
and a lot of times letters to manufacturers. That's how we learn about these things, uh, where the ATF will send a letter to, say, like SB Tactical, which is one of the most prominent makers uh, and, and largest makers of pistol braces. They'll send send a letter to SB Tactical and say, "Yeah, okay, you know, like the, it can be used like this, sort of thing." Okay, I'm, I'm I'm simplifying it as best I can. And so, what's interesting about this case is that you have a, a U.S. attorney who charged they, they charge this man, okay, and then in and by the way, a lot of the documents of this case are sealed. Which and they make a good point of that here in the in the article from Prince Law, saying that should tell you a lot of things that they they wanted to as much as they could hide this from the public eye. I can't really think about or I can't think of a good reason why they would want to seal some of the key records of this case, right? But basically, they tried to to make it so that uh, that these letters these. ATF, Firearms and Ammunition Technology Division letters. That's the division in the ATF that will issue these letters about, you know, saying whether or not this brace can be used and held against the shoulder or not. And they they wanted to say that these letters couldn't be used as evidence in the trial. That, the, that they, they didn't want the jury to see them. <laughs> and I guess they were unsuccessful in that. The jury did, you know, review this case and then ultimately found this man not guilty. Um, they also looked at the issue of the, the guy had on the, the AR pistol, one of those angled foregrips that Magpul makes, uh, because on a pistol, you're not allowed to have a vertical foregrip. Well, the ATF has ruled in the past that those angled foregrips is not an, is not a vertical foregrip, it, and it really isn't by definition. They also tried to use that to get against this guy. Uh, they also had uh, – so the one side had – a current employee of the ATF to testify about essentially the policy not being, I don't know. It's really weird how this whole case came to, came to be. They basically the prosecution had an employee of the ATF testifying about the case. And then the defense had a former employee testifying. And I think they were trying to look at the intent behind these rules or regulations as it relates to these braces. But in the end, what we know is that the jury did not find this man at fault. Okay, so that's the good news. But the bad news is if you have a federal, if you have a U.S. attorney willing to charge somebody over a pistol like this, and by the way, they had no evidence, it says, that he had ever actually used or held the air pistol in a manner that was incorrect or not not, not 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 legal, right? They had no. It was, the case wasn't even so much about him using it in an inappropriate way. It was about he possessed a unregistered short-barreled rifle. Yep, this is a this is a problem. This is scary. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'd like to believe this sets a precedent that the next you know another U.S. attorney would say, uh, "Geez, we already tried to prosecute someone for this and it didn't work out. Maybe we should stop trying." But it, it certainly shows, you know, the boldness of someone who's willing to say, let's go prosecute somebody for doing something based on the letter of the law. And then let's try and exclude from evidence the letters from our own, you know, from, from the same division whose law we're citing that say this very specific thing is okay. And let's exclude that from evidence and try and, and try and prosecute someone just on the letter of, of the rule. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's it's. It is. It, it this out. area of the law needs to be clarified. And, you know, the, the NFA... 
is outdated. It makes no sense. Uh, there, there's no common sense whatsoever about the NFA, m- many parts of the NFA, especially uh, I think where it relates to SBRs. In this day and age, it makes no sense for this to continue to be law. Uh, besides a, well, we could talk about national reciprocity, but beyond that, besides taking silencers or suppressors off the NFA, the next absolute thing that's got to come off the NFA is anything to do with short-barreled rifles. Yeah, makes no sense. I mean, the shorter the barrel, we reduce velocity. <laughs> we reduce some degree of accuracy. Like, I don't actually know why we hate shorter-barreled rifles. Like, I don't, I don't know what it was in 1934 that was a thing that obviously today is not in my world. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think a lot of it's uh, culture and uh, societal acceptance. You know, like, like uh, I think in 1934, you didn't have self-defense-minded people like you have nowadays. You didn't have citizens necessarily that were focused on self-defense and, you know, that the ideal tool for them to use for self-defense would be would would maybe be something like a short-barreled rifle. Um you know, so you, you had, I think, basically criminals that started using things like that in crimes and it gave them a negative connotation, you know, a negative image. And now, you know, we're a lot smarter. I, I'm, I, I truly believe that. I think we're a lot smarter about these things now in the self-defense world. And we go, hmm, this can be an effective tool in certain contexts, right? So something that wouldn't have even considered as a defensive tool in 1934 nowadays totally is because it has a place so that's why we got to roll back almost 80 year old law okay moving on we got a story here kind of a what not to do of sorts uh 13 action news ktnv.com this happened in las vegas Police have identified a man suspected of shooting and killing an 80 year old man in west las vegas the suspect is 34 year old he had forced his way into the into the victim's backyard, or it says into his yard, and the victim came out with a handgun and confronted the suspect. Investigators said the two men struggled over the gun and the victim was shot. In fact, he was shot in the head. He did die. So now this happened about 3.30 a.m. Uh, the r- reports were received uh, through dispatch of a prowler attempting to break into a residence. And then when they responded, they found the homeowner deceased uh, in his yard. And yep. so, yeah. Pa- and paint the picture, right? Like imagine you, you see someone in your backyard. They've come over a fence or something like that. Because I said forced way into the yard. So I'm assuming there's a fence or a gate or something. And you say, oh, that prowler, you know, he looks like he's trying to break into to my house. You or a neighbor calls 911. Hey, we got a prowler trying to break in. And then you go grab the gun, you open the back door, you go out into the backyard, you confront the man, the prowler, get into a confrontation, fight over the gun, and then the prowler shoots you in the head with the gun. With your gun. Right. There's a lot of red flags here in terms of tactics and and the approach. Uh, I I mean, we'll start where we always start. Like, why did we go outside at all? We're we're in a fortress. We're in the castle, right? Like, why, why leave? That makes no sense at all in my world. Like, also, in many states, the law changes once you leave the confines of that home. Yeah, no changes in Colorado. Yep. So that 
I don't get that at all. And then we get into this whole issue of like, we're, we're pointing a gun at someone. We're trying to use it in my mind. Like I see this as, I don't know that I'm committed, the homeowner. I don't know that I'm committed at this point that I can shoot this man, but I'm going to go wave this gun at him and maybe what scare him off. But then when I find out that this prowler is bold enough to rush me, attack me and wrestle over my gun and then shoot me with it, I'm screwed. Like that's a fight that's pretty hard to win. Like I don't, I, 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 Riley, I hope I never end up in the tussle on the ground over my gun. That's mm-hmm. that's a crappy place to get to. I, yeah. I've probably done some really foolish things tactically if I end up there. Yeah, yeah. You know, such, I mean, this dude's eighty years old, right? Against a thirty-four year old. So, uh, if you are not willing to use that gun, or you're in a situation, maybe maybe this this guy, maybe he realized that he couldn't use that gun. You know, for whatever reason, he was not thinking, he was reacting. He left the confines of the home. He went went outside, realizes he's got somebody intruding uh, or, or or trespassing on his property, and but but can't identify or or articulate a good reason why he could shoot this man. So now he's in a situation where he's forced his hand. I've got a gun. You know, I've come out to confront you, get off my property, leave, but this dude is not intent on doing that. And maybe he can see and recognize that this old man is not ready or willing or able to pull the trigger. And so thus is willing to step in and, or close in on the man. Or maybe the man came out and just was not smart about how he approached it and just got too close to begin with. And so we result in a situation where there's a fight over the gun. And, you know, this is one of the things that, in fact, I'll tell you, the anti-gunners like to use stories like this against us. They they love to say, oh, you carry a gun? Oh, well, the bad guy's just going to take it from you and use it against you. Because these types of things actually do happen. But by people that aren't prepared or ready or capable of being effective in terms of their tactics, especially, uh, and or their understanding of the law where it comes to these types of cases. And it costs us poor 80 year old man's life. So anyway, that's a, that's, this is a, this story. I mean, that's why we got to talk about it. We got to put it out there and say, folks, community, you know, we got to be more responsible than this. We got to use our, our head. We got to use the brain. We got to be smart about our tactics. We got to hunker down in the house, you know, isolate the family, defend the room is a, is a philosophy that we've preached about since like episode, what, 22 or 20 or something, something. Of, the, of the podcast. Uh, not that that's the first time that, you know, we believed in that. It's just, that's, that's when we first talked about it on the podcast, but that's the philosophy, you know, you're in your home, stay safe, get in a, a good advantageous place where you can defend you and or your family within that home. If that individual is able to gain access to the home in the first place, layered security approach, right? Have good security of the home in the first place, windows, doors, etc. you know, cameras, locks alarm systems, whatever it is, so that it makes it difficult and discourages that break-in in the first place. And then then you have 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 a plan in place inside the home. And that's why we're doing this home defense course, this video course coming up. Ooh, nice transition, right? Mm, you like that? Yeah. <laughs> At limited time only. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 true. I mean it this is a large percentage of the stories we, we share are in take place in people's homes. And this is one that's a, a good illustration of so many of the points that we, we preach. 
Tell us about, uh, we're, we're going to start now with this story in Post Falls, Idaho, Kootenai County. That's way up north. Okay. Uh, you would know. Beautiful part of Idaho. Not, not my part of Idaho, but I've been there and it's, it's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> you got a, an intruder of a home shot by a resident. It says the residents were woken up by the man who came into the home. Residents are a 21-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman. Uh, they woke up hearing loud crashing noises, it says, in the home. The man, the, the male homeowner or resident or occupant, went to investigate and found this intruder inside his home damaging property. Detectives say that the homeowner verbally told the man to leave, but the man refused. Detectives also said that the man was armed and began ag- aggressing both the man and, at this point, the woman, uh, the female occupant of the home. The male occupant fired several rounds from his handgun and hit the intruder, and he died at the scene. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to picture this, and I guess I just don't know what the verb aggressing means. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we got two good guys, one bad guy, and the good guys, the GGs, good guy, good gal, they are like yelling at the badge, the BG, right? Hey, stop it. Get out of here. And the BG has his gun and he starts aggressing them. So I'm imagining like he's waving the gun at them and and saying things like, you know, F off and I'm going to do this to you and whatever, bad stuff. And the, the GGs, the good guy and good gal, the good gal fires the, no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, the good, the good the, guy. The guy. Yeah, the good guy fires several rounds from his handgun, which I assume he must have brought with him when he went to confront the the armed intruder, mm-hmm. and the, the intruder dies at the scene. Yep. Cut, cut and dry. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when when it says that, I mean, so we, we see we see we see situations where we have intruders that are perhaps not not armed, uh, and uh, depending on the state, but in many states, probably most states, based on certain conditions inside that home with an intruder like that, you may be justified in using deadly force, uh, even if they are not actually armed or appear to be armed or you perceive that they're armed. Uh, In this case, it's clear that this man was armed and inside their home and began, as it says, quote unquote, aggressing these two homeowners. So yeah, cut and dry, man. Yeah, well, we we definitely can look at this from a legal perspective and say, good to go, cut and dry, no charges should be filed based on the information we have. Um, it would be interesting to know some of the tactical things. You know, Did they go to the intruder and confront mm-hmm. him in a place where they didn't have cover and find out, oh, crap, this, this BG has got a gun? Um, or you know, we don't know. We don't know all those little details. So yeah. um, some of those things, I, w- I would love to have those details. And of course, we'll probably never know, but yeah. I mean, it, it does say that the the male occupant went to investigate, and that is something we got to be cautious about, right? So we we run a scenario in our home defense course. <laughs> Here's another segue, Jacob, nice. where where it's basically that kind of situation, you know, where the homeowner is awakened in the night by a bunch of loud crashing noises inside the home, and we run that scenario a couple different ways. To kind of show, okay, here's what what might happen when the homeowner, for instance, goes to investigate those noises, and here's what happens when the homeowner doesn't, you know, you know, plays by the isolate the family, defend the room type approach, right? 
So anyway, be, be very, very, very cautious and careful about going to investigate situations like that, especially if you, if you believe there's an intruder in the home, that's, that's, uh, that is not a situation you want to be in where you are now, you're, you're a little bit at a tactical disadvantage to go and try to find and locate them as opposed to, you know, where you are, you're in your bedroom, you can secure that room, hopefully take up a position of, of cover and or advantage and then wait for them to come to you if need be. Mm-hmm. WDRB.com story reports, man arrested after two people are shot and killed at Jefferson town Kroger. Jacob hit it. Okay. So <clears throat> bad man goes into Kroger and by the way, Kroger is starting to feel like Walmart. Like we're getting a lot of shootings at Kroger's lately. Yeah. There's been a few and this one's yeah. in Louisville, Kentucky, by the way. Yeah. yeah Louisville. Heck we yeah. might've shopped there, dude, when we were there for the expo. Yeah, we'll have to check this one on the map and see where it was. All right, so bad guy, BG, goes into Kroger and fired multiple shots at another man in the store. Now, that man, the person who was shot at, died at the scene. Then the suspect leaves the store and shot and killed a woman in the parking lot. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Woman's dead, too. Then an armed citizen pulls out a weapon and exchanges fire with the BG. Neither the armed citizen or the BG are injured in that gunfight. The BG then flees to his car and gets a little way, you know, a couple blocks down, you know, I don't know how far, but, you know, gets drives down the road a ways before he is taken into custody shortly thereafter. Yep. So this is one where, you know, if this had been in our study that we just did a couple weeks ago, then we would probably say that the armed citizen uh, was successful in slowing down uh, the, the active shooter or at saving lives. Because it would seem that when the active shooter was engaged, he chose to abandon and leave instead of continuing to shoot people in the parking lot like he had just done this woman. So not a lot of information here about the uh, the motive or any of that kind of stuff, only that uh, we, got, we got two dead people and that's not cool, but it could have been worse. Yeah, for sure. This is such a – we don't even know anything about motive. We don't know – we don't know if that initial uh, victim – was someone that was known to this person. Uh, we don't, uh, it seems like the woman in the parking lot just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's unfortunate. Uh, so, but you know, by definition, we've, we've got to classify this is, this would fall in the same category as far as we know at this time, as all of the other active shooter events that we recently, you know, talked about and uh, included in our own uh, study of you know that was looking at the FBI, uh, their 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 data, and then also the Crime Prevention Research Center. Right, we took all that data, active shooter events from 2000 2017. If we were now putting together a report for 2018 as well, this story has got to be in there, right, Jacob? Yeah, absolutely. That qualifies. And, and this would be a situation where you know, so we talk about how 94% of armed, armed citizens in active shooter events are successful. And we define that success as either in 75 or 76% of the cases, they actually stop the shooter. And in an additional 18 or so percent of cases, they slow him down or do something that has a positive outcome in, in that it's likely they survive or they saved lives. This is one where the man can't be, he can't be counted as having stopped 
the attacker, but he slowed him down potentially and made it more difficult for him to kill other people. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome sauce. Yeah. More, yeah. more data. I love data. <laughs> it is, it is a good thing. Um, and yeah, I'm a fan of Louisville. So this, you know, we were just there recently. And so this one's hit, hits a little bit closer to home for me too. Yeah. I know I went shopping for some like bolts or something at a home Depot and, and Jefferson town sounds familiar to me. I don't, I, I was going to, I'm going to look it up cause I'm curious. Yeah. The other interesting thing for me is time of day. This is just before 3 PM. True. Yeah. Bright. So bright. this is not yeah, day. You know, midnight or 2 AM or yeah, something like that. Seems totally random. There's some really interesting stories, you, you know, from some of the uh, witnesses or people in the area. Someone talks about the, the shooter walked right by them. They were in like the pharmacy area of the store and the shooter walked right by. They 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 actually noticed he walked by them, and then a few seconds later, they hear the shooting go down in a nearby aisle. And that man, like I said, that whoever that was the initial uh, victim, he did die of his wounds right there in the aisle. Scary stuff. Very very sad. But uh, at the same time, we're glad that uh, at least one individual was prepared in some way outside the parking lot. And you know, maybe maybe they had to draw down because he was pointing the gun at them and maybe that saved their own life. I don't know. Crazy stuff. Final story of the day from WBRC.com. This is out of Birmingham, Alabama, another place that you and I have been, Jacob. In fact, we enjoyed some delicious barbecue in Birmingham. Mm, that was good. <laughs> Birmingham, uh, you know, is an, is an interesting city. I, I enjoyed my time there. But in this case, we have a McDonald's, which was the scene of the crime, a man who has been identified as as a 24-year-old individual went into the McDonald's to to rob the McDonald's. He was he had a gun. He was very much armed and it was clear what his intent was. In fact, he went into the McDonald's and fired shots uh prior, you know, as part of him trying he says that he opened fire in the restaurant. Now, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> it, go ahead. We don't know that I mean it doesn't appear that he was I mean, maybe he was, I, no No one else got shot. At least no one in the restaurant, no employees got shot. So I don't know if he went in and fired a couple of rounds off into the ceiling uh, to, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm letting you all know that I'm serious. Give me your money sort of thing. But then what happens is there is a man there with two of his sons, two of his children, and he draws his gun and, and begins exchanging fire with the suspect. And in the course of that, he does shoot and kill the suspect, the robber, but unfortunately, the good guy, the CCWer, gets hit by by gunfire, and so does one of his sons. Now they're both going to be okay, according to reports, but boy, that's 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 the scary reality of this sort of thing, you know, of, of involving yourself in this kind of situation, and you got little ones with you. In this case, I think they were they were teenaged children, but uh, that's boy. I mean, this could have could have gone south for him and or his kids. Now, in another related story, both these stories will be in the show notes, of course. And, of course, uh, show notes for today's episode. If you're listening you want a shortcut to get to them, go, just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 269. And you'll see all these stories there. And in this related story, it talks about – it's an interview with one of the McDonald's employees there who said he heard shots. He heard a couple shots, and he, he went and hid in the freezer – and he says that he heard more than 15 shots fired during this gunfight between the, this 
Good Samaritan and uh, The Suspect. Yeah, which I don't know that I, I believe or trust. I mean, I believe that they were saying what they believed to be true. I just don't know that I, I trust that their recollection or understanding of the events is true about 15 shots. Could very well be. I mean, here's an important kind of detail for me in terms of like trying to imagine and picture this. Okay. The BG says the BG entered the restaurant when an employee opened the door for a father and his sons to leave. Right. It's like B- closing or something, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's almost like the, the, the two are like passing each other at the entrance, maybe right outside or right inside the restaurant. The BG then opened fire in the restaurant, uh, opened fire in the restaurant. At that point, the father began shooting at him. So it's, to me, like I see it almost like they're, they're just kind of you know passing each other in the doorway of the McDonald's. And the dad maybe goes through the door first. His two kids are behind him. He hears shots, turns around, boom. You know, someone's shooting maybe at my kids. My kids are, are right behind me, and, and shots don't get exchanged. Hello, Watson. <laughs> Jacob's dog has made himself known. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm no, trying to break in the door of my office this whole time. <laughs> finally managed to open the door all on his own. <laughs> Clever dog. Yeah, uh, you know, so it's true that, there are times, many times, where people don't uh, necessarily recall or remember or, or even realize accurately what happened, uh, you know, as far as how many, you know, there's definitely plenty of cases where police officers even fire shots in an officer-involved shooting and, and think they fired two or three. And then the reality is they review dash cam or body cam footage and see that they, they, they're emptied their mag and performed a reload. You know, so, uh, but it, it seems to me that there, what this indicates though, is at least that there was quite, there was a good number of shots that were exchanged. And that would make sense based on the fact that this, this dad and his son were injured. Um, but I, I looked at this, Jacob, as sort of, you know, number one, we've got to be ready and prepared everywhere, everywhere we go. Number two, you know, I don't know. I don't, I wonder if this guy, the, 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 the CCWer, if he, uh, I wonder if he's sitting in the hospital now, you know, thinking about this and going, hmm, I wonder if I should approach this a little bit differently that would have prevented me and or my son from getting injured. Uh, I don't know. You know, we weren't there and we don't, this still is a situation we don't have a ton of details on, you know, as far as exactly how it played out or exactly how it went down. And, and the third thing is, is, you know, how many rounds are you carrying? You know, we don't know exactly how many rounds this good guy fired but you know it, it based on at least one witness's report it's plausible that the good guy may have needed more than five or six yeah no that's very very valid good considerations yeah so anyway great stories though and boy we I'll tell you <laughs> thank you to our listeners we uh had several folks email us the story about the Kroger shooting as well as this McDonald's shooting, you know, just, just right on top of it, you know? So, uh, thanks folks, uh, for sending those along. Uh, we appreciate you, you know, keeping an eye out for these sorts of things, these stories. Of course, you're, you can always contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. That's ideally the best way to send us stuff as opposed to messaging us through our Facebook page. You can message us through Facebook. That's fine. But uh, if you, really, if you email it, it's it just comes really directly to me and Jacob and Matthew, uh, whereas messages through our Facebook are going to go through our social media and customer service teams. Anyway, um, also, I, th- I thought I'd take the time now, Jacob, to to mention something what I that I mentioned in the 
as we went live on Facebook, but I haven't yet mentioned it in the actual recorded uh, podcast episode here, we wanted to thank our listeners for all the support that you give us, uh, for all the support that you give those companies that sponsor us and also products that we sell that uh, help us fund you know what we do here at concealedcarry.com and at the Concealed Carry Podcast. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to do this. We wouldn't be in business. And thank you to everyone who actually listens to us and has listened to us for over two and a half years now. We just hit a, a major milestone for the podcast where we had over 100,000 downloads for the month of October, uh, which we've never quite crossed that threshold. So we thank you. Um, if you take a moment and share this podcast with a friend, a coworker, a family member, and continue to spread the good word. Hopefully, you know, you see some value in what we do here and the information and the stories and the tactics and, and subjects that we discuss here on the podcast makes a difference, a positive difference in someone's life. So share share it, share the goodwill, uh, share our Facebook posts, share the podcast. We really do appreciate you and uh, we're committed for the long haul to continue bringing you hopefully some of the best content out there in this segment of you know self-defense and concealed carry. I was going to just read a couple of our most recent uh, reviews from iTunes. Please do. So this is uh, this, the title of this review is My Second Review, and it's a five-star review from Applefire. And Applefire says, after 250 episodes, I'm still a loyal listener, even though I hate that it's changed to a Facebook platform. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, Applefire. The addition of Matthew has been very valuable and is a nice mix when Jacob isn't available. The episodes are very relevant. The perspectives of Riley Jacob and Matthew adds real-life perspective. I've learned so much from this podcast and don't miss an episode. I highly recommend it to anyone that is serious of, about defending themselves or their loved ones with the firearm, specifically concealed carry. Looking forward to the next 250th episode. Uh, here's one more. This one says credit where credit is due by MCC1906. And he says, I am changing my rating because you guys have addressed everything from my previous review. So I have to give credit where credit is due. Thank you both. Thank you, MCC1906. We appreciate not only that, uh, you, you're recognizing that we've tried to take your feedback into consideration. Also, that you would return to iTunes and update your review. Your yeah. review. Much appreciated. That's super cool. Yep. Yeah. Here's one last one. This one's from Sean underscore 1021. Sean says, awesome, except for he spelled it wrong. Sean, you should go fix that. Awesome <laughs> podcast. Uh, Riley, Jacob, and Matthew are all very knowledgeable. They discuss relevant events and deliver useful information in a fun-to-listen way. A fun to listen to way. Yeah. I discovered this podcast about three months ago and have been binge listening ever since. Keep up the good work, guys. Train right, train hard, and train often so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Thank you, Sean, for leaving us that review on iTunes. Much appreciated. Awesome. Since we're on this subject of sharing reviews, I, I wanted to share something I stumbled upon looking at a competing podcast. Now, I'm not going to mention that podcast's uh, name uh, or, or really tell you much about that. And this is not a, meant to be a dig at them in any way, but I just stumbled on this and it kind of, it made me proud. So we had uh, 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 a review left. It was a not a so, so much positive review left on a competing podcast. And basically it seemed like they were a little bit displeased with some of the politics that were brought into that show where, where we, we tried, you know, it's, it's a difficult line to walk. It's true. Uh, where Guns and self-defense are political issues for many people. Uh, so it's it's hard to 
to not let that become the dominating feature of our of our own show. But this person said, we bought a shotgun and three handguns and are interested in self-defense and recreational target shooting as well as the latest technology. Our first podcast, and still the best, is Concealed Carry Podcast. A great mix of news, technology, concepts, and tactical techniques. I tried five episodes of this other show and could hardly make it through them. I read the positive and negative reviews and agree with the one stars. <laughs> so... Thank you so much, whoever that was, for uh, stating, <laughs> even on our competitors' uh, reviews, that the the first and best podcast is the Concealed Carry Podcast. So, I don't if you know who you are and you're listening, I appreciate you. That's all. I, I just wanted to get that out there. Awesome sauce. Yeah. So, hey, we're gonna let you all go. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of this episode today. A reminder to train right, train, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.